Wordplay, Theater for the Ear and the Imagination, presents A Mate for the Creature, an episode from the novel Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. There are many themes in Shelley's famous novel, including the need for every creature, no matter how deformed, for acceptance and love. The overriding theme, however, is the consequences of what happens when a man tries to replace God and fails. Dr. Frankenstein, for example, is able to create a being, but unlike God, he is unable to give his creation a moral code or to love him. Unlike the film depictions of Frankenstein, in the novel, Shelley's creature is intelligent and articulate. Jeffrey DeSisto plays Dr. Victor Frankenstein, and Danny Kaplan portrays the creature. Father Matthew Powell adapted the episode for audio drama and directed. In the episode we will present, the creature has returned to ask a favor of Dr. Frankenstein. I determined at least to listen to his tale. I was partly urged by curiosity. Compassion confirmed my resolution. For the first time also, I felt what the duties of a creator towards his creature were. I consented to listen, and seating myself by the fire which my odious companion had lighted, he thus began his tale. Like Adam, I was apparently united by no link to any other being in existence, but his state was far different from mine in every other respect. He had come forth from the hands of God, a perfect creature, happy and prosperous, guarded by the special care of his creator. Many times I considered Satan as the fitter emblem of my condition. No Eve soothed my sorrows nor shared my thoughts. I was alone. I remembered Adam's supplication to his creator. But where was my creator? He had abandoned me, and in the bitterness of my heart, I cursed him. We may not part until you have promised to comply with my request. I am alone and miserable. Men will not associate with me, but one as deformed and horrible as myself would not deny herself to me. My companion must be of the same species and have the same defects. This being you must create. The creature finished speaking and fixed his looks upon me in the expectation of a reply. But I was bewildered, perplexed, and unable to arrange my ideas sufficiently to understand the full extent of his proposition. You must create a female for me with whom I can live in the interchange of those sympathies necessary for my being. This you alone can do. 
I do refuse it, and no torture shall ever extort a consent from me. You may render me the most miserable of men, but you shall never make me base in my own eyes. Shall I create another like yourself whose joint wickedness might desolate the world? Go away. I have answered you. You are in the wrong. I am malicious because I am miserable. Am I not shunned and hated by all mankind? You, my creator, would tear me to pieces. Tell me why I should pity man more than he pities me. If I cannot inspire love, I will inspire fear, and chiefly towards you, my creator. Have care. I will work at your destruction so that you shall curse the hour of your birth. A fiendish rage animated him as he said this, but presently he calmed himself and proceeded. What I ask of you is reasonable. I demand a creature of another sex, but as hideous as myself. It is true, we shall be monsters, cut off from all the world, but on that account we shall be more attached to one another. Our lives will not be happy, but they will be harmless and free from the misery I now feel. My creator, let me feel gratitude towards you for one benefit. Do not deny me my request. I was moved. I shuddered when I th thought of the possible consequences of my consent, but I felt that there was some justice in his argument. His tale and the feelings he now expressed proved him to be a creature of some feeling. And did I not, as his maker, owe him all the portion of happiness that it was in my power to bestow? He saw my change of feeling and continued. If you consent, neither you nor any other human being shall ever see us again. I will go to the vast wilds of South America. My food is not that of man. I do not destroy the lamb and the kid to glut my appetite. Acorns and berries shall afford me sufficient nourishment. The picture I present to you is peaceful and human. You propose to fly from the habitations of man. How can you, who long for the love and sympathy of man, persevere in this exile? You will return and again seek their kindness, and you will again meet with their detestation. Your evil passions will be renewed, and you will then have a companion to aid you in the task of destruction. Cease to argue the point, for I cannot consent. I swear to you by the earth which I inhabit, and by you who made me, that with the companion you bestow, I will quit the neighborhood of men and dwell in the most savage of places. His words had a strange effect upon me. I felt compassion for him, and sometimes I felt a wish to console him. But when I looked upon him, when I saw that filthy mass that moved and talked. My heart sickened and my feelings were altered to those of horror and hatred. I said, you swear to be harmless. 
But have you not already shown a degree of malice that should reasonably make me distrust you? If I have no ties and no affections, hatred and vice must be my portion. The love of another will destroy the cause of my crimes, and I shall become a thing of the whose existence everyone will be ignorant. I thought of the promise of virtues which he had displayed at the beginning of his existence, and the subsequent blight of all kindly feeling by the loathing and scorn which humans had manifested towards him. After a long pause of reflection, I concluded that the justice due to him demanded of me that I should comply with his request. Turning to him, therefore, I said, I consent to your demand on your solemn oath to quit Europe forever and every other place in the neighborhood of man. As soon as I shall deliver into your hands a female who will accompany you into your exile. I swear by the sun and by the blue sky of heaven. Depart to your home and commence your labors. I shall watch their progress and fear not, but that when you are ready, I shall appear. Saying this, he suddenly quitted me, fearful, perhaps, of any change in my sentiments. Back at my laboratory, I proceeded in my labor. It became every day more horrible to me. Sometimes I could not prevail on myself to enter my laboratory for several days. And at other times, I toiled day and night in order to complete my work. It was, indeed, a filthy process in which I was engaged. During my first experiment with him, a kind of enthusiastic frenzy had blinded me to the horror of my employment. Now my heart often sickened at the work of my hands. Every moment I feared to meet my persecutor. Sometimes I sat with my eyes fixed on the ground, fearing to raise them lest they should encounter the object which I so much dreaded to behold. As I sat one evening, a train of reflection occurred to me which led me to reconsider the effects of what I was now doing. The female might become ten thousand times more malignant than her mate and delight, for its own sake, in murder and wretchedness. He had sworn to quit the neighborhood of man and hide himself in deserts. But she had not. And she, who in all probability was to become a thinking and reasoning animal, might refuse to comply with the compact made before her creation. They might even hate each other. The creature who already lived loathed his own deformity, and might he not conceive a greater abhorrence for it when it came before his eyes in the female form? She might quit him, even if they were to leave Europe and inhabit the deserts of the New World, one of the first results of those sympathies for which the demon thirsted would be children, and a race of devils would be propagated upon the earth who might make the very existence of the species of man precarious and full of terror. Had I a right for my own benefit to inflict this curse upon everlasting generations? I shuddered to think that 
future ages might curse me. I trembled. My heart failed within me when, on looking up, I saw by the light of the moon the demon at the window. A ghastly grin wrinkled his lips as he gazed on me where I sat fulfilling the task which he had allotted to me. I thought with a sensation of madness on my promise of creating another like to him and trembling with passion, I tore to pieces the thing on which I was engaged. The wretch saw me destroy the creature on whose future existence he depended for happiness and withdrew with a howl of devilish despair and revenge. I left the room and locking the door of my laboratory, made a solemn vow in my own heart never to resume my labors. And then, with trembling steps, I sought my own apartment. Presently, I heard the sound of footsteps along the passage. The door opened, and the wretch whom I dreaded appeared. You have destroyed the work which you began! What is it that you intend? Do you dare break your promise? I have endured toil and misery. I have endured incalculable fatigue and cold and hunger. Do you dare destroy my hope? Get out! I do break my promise. Never will I create another like yourself, equal in deformity and wickedness. I before reasoned with you, but you have proved yourself unworthy of my trust. Remember that I do have power. I can make you so wretched that the light of day will be hateful to you. You are my creator, but I can be your destroyer. Your threats cannot move me to do an act of wickedness, but they confirm in me a determination of not creating for you a companion in vice. Shall I, in cold blood, set loose upon the earth a demon whose delight is in death and wretchedness? And shall each man find a wife for his bosom, and each beast have his mate, and I be alone? I had feelings of affection, and they were requited by detestation and scorn. You may hate me, but beware. Your hours will pass in dread and misery, and soon the boat will fall which must ravish you from your happiness forever. Are you to be happy while I grovel in the intensity of my wretchedness? I might die, but first you, my creator, shall curse the sun that gazes on your misery. Beware! I will watch with the wiliness of a snake that I may sting with its venom. You shall repent of the injuries you inflict. Do not poison the air with these sounds of malice. I have declared my resolution to you, and I am no coward to bend beneath words. Leave me. It is well. I go. But remember, I shall be with you on your wedding night. Oh, God. Oh, God. He knows that I am engaged to be married. I would have seized him, but he eluded me and, and quitted the house. 
After the wedding, my new bride, Elizabeth, retired to a room, but I continued some time walking up and down the passages of the house and inspecting every corner that might afford an entry to my adversary. But I discovered no trace of him and was beginning to conjecture that some fortunate chance had intervened to prevent the execution of his threats, when suddenly I heard a shrill and dreadful scream. It came from the room into which Elizabeth had retired. As I heard it, the whole truth rushed into my mind. My arms dropped. The motion of every muscle and fiber was suspended. I could feel the blood trickling in my veins and tingling in the extremities of my limbs. This state lasted but for an instant. The scream was repeated. I rushed into the room. Great God! She was there, lifeless and inanimate, thrown across the bed, her head hanging down and her pale and distorted features half covered by her hair. Her bloodless arms and relaxed form flung by the murderer on its bridal bier. I rushed towards her and embraced her with ardor. But the deadly languor and coldness of the limbs that told me that what I now held in my arms had ceased to be Elizabeth, whom I had loved and cherished. The murderous mark of the fiend's grasp was on her neck. While I still hung over her in the agony of despair, I happened to look up. The shutters had been thrown back, and with a sensation of horror not to be described, I saw at the open window a figure most hideous and abhorred. A grin was on the face of the monster. He seemed to jeer, as with his fiendish finger he pointed towards the corpse of my wife. I rushed toward the window, and drawing a pistol from my coat, fired. But he eluded me, leapt from his station, and running with the swiftness of lightning, plunged into the raging water of the lake.